with God's people, praising him. Thank you to the team who've led us. Over the last number of weeks, we've been uh, looking at psalms, and in particular, some psalms that have been significant, powerful, representative. And I just thought it'd be good uh, for a few moments before you switch off, you said with confidence, no, no, I don't believe that. Uh, Just think for a moment of a psalm or a verse from a psalm that you would you would come back to, or as I'm putting on the spot, your mind's gone blank, you're thinking, please don't choose me, I can't think of anything. But just give yourself that moment and think, in the Psalms, I'd pretty much, even if you can't think of exactly where it is, and imagine most of us have got some verses that we would say, "These, these have been significant at this stage in life. These have been really powerful to me at at some point, or have been all my Christian journey. And I'm going to ask just uh, for for some of those to be be shouted out. You can quote it if you're very good. We're not looking for kind of spiritual boastfulness here. I don't want you to recite Psalm 119 in all its entirety. I will be impressed. You don't have to prove that. Um, Look it up if you don't understand. And... But just to share some of, the, some of those verses, some of those places where heaven touches earth. So, great, Psalm 103. Very famous. Let's have some of this side. It's been a bit quiet on now. On the left, Karis, you're a Bible student. Uh, <laughs> I'm coming to Vanessa next. No, uh, <laughs> I'll give you a moment. Anyway, uh, yeah, Wendy. It makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on heights. Brenda. Good stuff. Anyone else? Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain you. Psalm 51? Yeah. I wouldn't put anyone on the spot, really. Psalm 139, it's a beautiful psalm. Uh, They're all all encompassing, and uh, I'm not going to put anyone on the spot. Apart from Karis. (laughs) They are wonderful. And as we've gone through them, as we've looked at, at particular ones, there's a whole breadth of, of what they bring and what they offer. People who like to categorize, uh, 
those who like to find what form it is, what type, have done many things, and they, they get lots of pieces of paper, or if they're computer literate, they get lots of pages, notes, and they, they kind of attribute different psalms with different characteristics. So you've got the psalms of wisdom, Psalm 119 would be part of that, Psalm 1, and so forth. The psalms of, of lament, the biggest block of psalms in in this section, out of 150, the Psalms. There's the kingly Psalms. There's the Psalms of Ascent. They're sort of 115-ish onwards. And they kind of form them into the types, and, and that's great. They, they provide wonderful kind of basis. Someone has described it. Um, it he... Who was it? A chap called Von Rad, who is a, a German by that name, you can guess, Von Rad. And uh, he described the Psalms in this way. He said, they are Israel's speech, you know, written by people and picked up by the nation. They didn't just reside in some personal journal somewhere in a drawer. But they were picked up by Israel. He said, Israel's speech addressed to God. Calvin, John Calvin, that great reform, reformist theologian, said, the Psalms are an, at- an, are an anatomy of the soul. They fully articulate every facet of the cost and joy of life with God. And it's not surprising that again and again that they form the basis of, of our walk with God, of our, of our expression of faith and devotion. Worship always seems to do that. The, the songs, the hymns, I was, I was listening to the, the Palm Sunday uh, service. I was eating my muesli this morning. It was coming from Methodist Central Hall. Did anyone else hear that? Radio 4, yay. Some heard that. No, they didn't. Some great stirring, stirring hymns of faith that articulate every facet. The cost and joy of life with God. Psalm 23, Psalm 46, Psalm 121, Psalm 139. But I think, I think if we just look at some, we begin to miss out on the many. That there are songs and prayers, it's worship, rightly, but they express struggle, the laments. They cry out in the face of opposition. They express beauty. Some of them are pretty horrific. I learned just recently that Psalm 109, actually in can Roman Catholic liturgical books, is missed out entirely. It's, it's deemed too horrific, too much for God's people to read some choice verses. A God whom I praise, do not remain silent, for wicked and deceitful men have opened their mouths against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongues. Appoint an evil man to oppose him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty, and may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take the place of his leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. It's 
pretty brutal, isn't it? I can't think of any worship song we'd sing. <laughs> Ali, can you? And I think it just, it just begins to push us to say, yeah, the Psalms are personal and, and we pick them up and they give expression in the times of life. The facets, as John Calvin said. But Luther, Martin Luther, that other great theologian said, they, about the Psalms, they're not only addressed to God, but he says the Psalms are the voice of the gospel. God's good word addressed to God's faithful people. So often we take the Psalms uh, and we use them as worship songs and they, we, we um, appropriate them. We make them our own. This is, these are my words. I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. They become our words and our prayers and our expressions to God. Yes, and amen. But there's another side to the Psalms, which says they are God's word, God's gospel, God's good news to us. They're not just an anthology of 150, like a songbook. Let's choose number song 49, please. And the band strikes up. Do they speak of God? Let me read you a verse which just kind of... Um, got me thinking. One other quote from Luther, because I like him. The Psalms articulate the whole gospel in a nutshell. How about that? How do they? Well, turn with me to Luke. It's going to be on the screen. Thanks, Matt. We got there eventually. Luke 24. It's the resurrection. It's the road to Emmaus. The two disciples have encountered the risen Jesus, but they don't know it. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. I love how Jesus brings peace always. The risen Jesus brings peace. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Well, he would. Jesus is there amongst them. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. As you see, I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Listen to this. Everything must be fulfilled. That is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. <coughs> then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. 
in that Kathy Church Bible study, God in the pub. Jesus told them about himself. Yeah, we understand about the law. Well, that's the Pentateuch. It's the law, and we understand all about, or heard about sacrifice and all those things. And yeah, the prophets, because we can quote in our Christmas narratives very often the prophets of Isaiah, uh, for the virgin will be with child, and a great light has come upon us, and the, the increase of his government will know no end, and, and the promised Messiah, and, and I will write my law on their hearts, not on tablets of stone. And again and again, those messianic prophecies, we can understand that, but the Psalms? It says in verse 44, this is what he told them, and he opened their mind, verse 45, so they could understand the scriptures. Just as an aside, it's, it's just worth noting that casual reading doesn't, guarantee revelation. Simple inquiring and sitting down of the scriptures doesn't lead you to the inevitable conclusion. I know uh, friends of mine who've, knowing my faith, have turned to the scriptures and said, well, I'll read the gospel that you suggest, Mark, Luke, John, whichever. And they read it through and, and it doesn't form the case at the end that they go, I'm sorry, I was so wrong in opposing you and ridiculing you and mocking you and, and not believing you were telling me the truth. I bow my knee and lead me in that sinner's prayer right now, please. That meeting God isn't just natural inquiry. It's not self-evident that there's this need of divine revelation. Spirit takes the scriptures and presses them on our soul and mind. So it really set me thinking a little bit about what might Jesus have said from the Psalms. How did Jesus give them the Bible study from the Psalms? What might he have said? you'll be glad to know I'm not going to go through every 150 of the Psalms. But if it's true, as Luther said, that they articulate the whole gospel in a nutshell, it's there. God's word to us, as well as our words to him. Just some other little pointers. Did you know that in the New Testament that we hold precious, the Psalms are the most quoted and most frequently referred to than any other book or letter in the Old Testament, the Psalms. That at every point in the life, the significant life of Jesus, I mean, every day was significant, don't mishear that, but in his, in his birth and in, his, uh, in the, uh, the, his baptism and the annunciation of God, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. I love him, beloved son. Right through in the ministry of his beginning to tell them who he is. And then in the announcement of his passion of what he must do. And then most significantly in this week that we call Holy Week. Right up to the point of his last breath. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All from the Psalms. 
the Psalms speak so much of the kingdom, the teaching of God. You see, the Psalms, before anything and everything else, I think so speak so much of God's reign. Heaven come down indeed. God's reign and rule. Sort of painting the picture of this. So much of the Psalms of lament and of this crying out of dereliction of, of why is it going wrong? Why do the good suffer and the evil prevail? It's a cry on God's heart too. But in the midst of that misunderstanding, in the midst of that, that pain and that agony, why is it? Why is it that the weak suffer? And are trampled upon. The Psalms resolutely declare God reigns. God reigns. The Psalm uh, 90, Psalm 90 uh, is a kind of one of these, uh, it's the central point of, of actually the Psalms, not the Bible, but the Psalms, and begins to draw back. The bulk of the laments are in the, the first three books of the Psalms. You know what I mean by the first three books of the Psalms? want to know? Turn to start the Bible. I don't know if the screen does this because the technology is not so good. If you haven't got a Bible, this is why we encourage Bibles. Maybe on your electronic phones, Mims, you can, they will show this. Just turn to Psalm 90. And this isn't kind of um, stuff that we've added, I say we, the church. You see where it says Psalm 90? What does it say just before it? Book 4. Sorry? doesn't say anything. Oh dear. Okay. Turn to Psalm 1. What does it say just before you get to the, the body of Psalm 1? Book 1. And then you get italics, don't you? And it says Psalms 1 to 41. That's like the crib. That's like the exam sheet. And if you turn to Psalm 41, it's really clever because at, at the end of Psalm 41, it says these words. It says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Book two. See that? As the deer pants for the streams of water. And it tells you in italics, which is an addition, that book two finishes at Psalm 72. So you turn to Psalm 72. Oh, it sounds familiar, the ending. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Verse 20, this concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse, book 3. Book 3 finishes, just at Psalm 89. Praise be to the Lord forever, amen and amen. There are five of these books. In books 1, 2, and 3 in the Psalms, it's the bulk of the lament, it's the bulk of the crying out, it's the bulk of the, why God, where are you God, this world is messed up. And from, from Psalm 90 onwards, the, the bulk of the Psalms switch from the, the wretchedness of life and the failure of people and authorities and kings and rulers, and it switches focus much more to the reign and the rule of God. Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations, not trusting in princes and man and kings. Before the mountains were born, you were brought forth from the earth. Uh, sorry, you brought forth from the earth 
and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Verse 17, may the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands and goes on to speak about sheltering in God. Carries on, verse uh, Psalm uh, 97, the Lord reigns, let the earth be glad, let the distant shores rejoice, and so forth and so on. Verse 99, the Lord reigns, let the nations tremble. Great is the Lord in Zion. What does the psalm say? That God will not leave people abandoned. The yes, individual psalms we could pick out and cry out, rightly so, in pain. But it's always bookended by he reigns. He reigns. Even in Psalm 22, that psalm that is, is so memorable, Good Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? So far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, and I'm not silent. You know, I can't prove this to you. In this psalm where heaven touches earth, so much of it. You know, if you wanted to do a Bible study of, of Jesus, it's one of those writ large Verse 16, dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men encircled me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. You know, one of the things often when the New Testament quotes the old is the sense that it, it might just be the summary, the reference point. And don't, don't forget what else is written in that place. Psalm 22 doesn't end in just despair. But it gets to that place. It says, often these cries of hopelessness, yet, yet God will prevail. Less quoted, but just as significant. Verse 27, Psalm 22. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. Hallelujah. That God's reign and God's rule implicitly woven through the Psalms. There again, sometimes as just a gentle hum, very often the clarion, klaxon, the beating drum, the Lord reigns. God is king. God is reigning. Trust in him. Even when it's tough, trust in him. Just as Jesus was able to do right to the point of breathing his last. Psalms declare God's reign.
and they speak of it as the now. The now rule and reign of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God motif. He said, come to me, all who are weary, come and I will give you rest. If you're hungry or thirsty, come. Weary, tired, come. Come. That seems to be the echo of the Psalms. Conclusion of the Psalms. That they're always expressed, aren't they? In the place of faith. Even, even that dreadful Psalm 109, it's still crying it out to God. The invitation to come. To come. That Jesus proclaimed the reign and rule of God amidst constant opposition. That was the nature of his life. And that would characterize his followers. It's described in the Psalms. We too are described. And like the psalmist is afflicted, oppressed, poor and needy, weak and meek and persecuted. But let the afflicted in the Psalms echo Jesus' words, happy or blessed. Blessed. And how did Jesus speak to them from the, the law and the prophets and the psalms. You know, as I've read the psalms and, and tried to, to see what's God's word to us, not just how do we address him. But you see again and again the pattern of Jesus' ministry. That the servant of God suffers And yet remains faithful. Isaiah has, has this in his servant songs, doesn't he? Isaiah 53 is, is the most profound of those. That the faithful servant of God, the spiritually endued, the spiritually imbibed, the, the man or woman of God, full of faith and obedience, suffers. Peter, who do you say I am? Well, some say Elijah, Jesus. Some say John the Baptist. Some say a prophet. Yeah, but Peter, who do you say I am? You're the Christ. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Yeah, you've got it, Peter. You didn't work this out for yourself. My father revealed that to you. And do you know what, Peter? I've got to go and, and I've got to set my face to Jerusalem. And I've got to be handed over to the teachers and the authorities and the powers. And I've got to suffer and die. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Don't be stupid, Jesus. That's not the way it goes. Powerful men of God don't, don't experience that. Stinging rebuke words. Get, me, get behind me, Satan. See, Jesus knew to be fully faithful and fully obedient meant being utterly faithful and obedient and embracing suffering as part and parcel of the 
whole deal. And John in his gospel, brothers and sisters in this holy week, he said at the start of Jesus' ministry, look, we beheld the glory of God. We saw the Lamb of God full of grace and truth. Think about it. The glory of God. The glory of God, not mystical cloud and and kind of weird fire and thunder. and The glory of God embodied Jesus. We beheld his glory. We beheld it on the cross. Dying. The Psalms radically reinforce the teaching of Jesus. It's a topsy-turvy kingdom. It's upside down. Suffering servanthood. The sovereignty of God. The power and reign of God. Self-sacrificially dying. That's glory. Stunning in its magnitude. Because it's totally different to this world. It's not the powerful step over the powerful to get to the king of the castle. And you're the dirty rascal. Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a human being, being the very nature of God, didn't, didn't lord it, but made himself nothing. Even to death. You see, the Psalms don't talk about sheer power. They speak of sheer love embodied. The cross is that outward sign of humanity at its worst and the outward sign of God at his best. Everything we could do to reject God is symbolized, expressed, Focused on the cross, the worst, the wretchedness, the rebellion, the hate, the rejection. And God at his best, God at his best, his most glorious, his most wonderful, his most supreme act of sovereignty. The glory of God revealed. The Psalms declare it. You know what the resurrection says? We're a week early, I know. The resurrection doesn't remove the scandal of the cross. The resurrection doesn't say, well, okay, that was the blip. And now we get back on track. But the resurrection validates the power of sheer love as the authentic way of life. Follow my ways, says Jesus. Mark 8, 34. Take up the cross daily. Take it up, and it marks my followers out. Read the Psalms, brothers and sisters. They're brilliant. They give us words, but the words tell of God. In the way of the pilgrim, the disciple, the God follower, the one who says, 
here I am. Even in the midst of constant affliction, blessed, happy am I. Amen. And amen. prayer I want to pray two ways Jesus by your spirit would you open our minds and hearts to truth the scriptures in reading them reading them that we would find you not just history and literature and and all that pray Jesus and thank you for the gift of the words gift of scripture that with those two disciples on the road you could you could lead them through and it led them to you to that understanding penny dropping They knew Jesus better. Pray that for us. This Easter time. A growing conviction and love for your word. And I pray too for a love for your ways. The ways of Jesus. for us in the Psalms, the gospel in a nutshell. The prayers of the faithful, the prayers of the dependent upon God, the prayers of the honest, not the glib or the trite. The prayers saying, Lord, may you reign again. Heaven come down. Heaven touch earth. May your kingdom come and your rule be established. And the ways of God again here. In my heart and in this life. In this place. This world. And Holy Spirit, I ask that this Easter week wouldn't pass by in same old, same old. But like those disciples on the road to Emmaus, arrest us. Stop us in our tracks. That we may meet with you Receive your peace. May we recommissioned as gospel people. This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem. 
you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. We'll just keep silence for some moments and then invite We sang this song this morning, and, and just as we've been praying, it's back in my heart and mind. It's, it's the song, Open the Eyes of My Heart. Open the eyes of my heart, open the eyes of my heart. And I don't know what you think of when it gets to the next bit, to see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory, pour out power and love. I often think of that as ascension, seated on the throne, and it's true, but I want you to think of it Tonight, particularly in worship, high and lifted up, crucified, shining in the light of his glory, no more fully revealed, perhaps most wonderfully, because that defines his reigning and ruling in heaven by his lamb who was slain. Pour out your power and love, that's what we're asking. like him.